I'm Alberto Salvato. Welcome to Crime Time, a Virginia criminal law podcast. I'm here with Anna Dvorak, Anthony Norse, and Ann Thayer. Enjoy the show. So here it is, legal disclaimer, because we are lawyers and we've got to write one. So if you are listening to this podcast, thank you. We sincerely hope you are listening to this podcast for its entertainment value and not with the intention of acquiring legal advice for any individual case or situation. I mean, come on, you wouldn't take advice from someone you have never met or spoken to directly, right? If you were bleeding profusely, you wouldn't listen to a podcast in hopes of a bandage somehow materializing over the internet and onto your 3D printer. Seeking actual legal advice can be just as important as a tourniquet. The hosts of this podcast are in no way intending to create an attorney-client relationship with any listener. Sorry, we are sure you all are great people, but we cannot stress enough how little we know of you and your case. And rather than risk an awkward moment, let us just remember we have never met. Nothing on this platform should be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. We are just a group of friends with differing opinions and viewpoints, which we will try to explore through discussions of current events, law changes, and whatever else floats our fancy. Welcome to Crime Time. Today's episode, Sealing the Deal. We have a very special guest with us today. It's Senator Scott Serval, and we're going to be talking about the new expungement laws and sealing laws that are going to be taking effect sometime in the near future. Uh, maybe this decade. You know, it, it's actually really complicated new legislation, and I, it's it's we're we're so blessed and, and fortunate to have Scott here with us to be able to go through this and and give us the highlights of what's going to be coming up in the future. Scott, how you doing today? I'm doing okay. It's good to be with you guys. With good to see so many other people on a Zoom with me with headsets on. I like the headset look. Headsets are key. Um, I it's wear them even when I'm not on a Zoom call. I just wear them around the house and just kind of do my do my own thing. The judges don't really understand why I'm doing it in court. But uh, Anna, <laughs> how are you doing today? Anna, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I really, <laughs> you know, this episode Crime Time is very special. And we're going to learn about how we can seal and expunge all of Alberto's prior criminal history. <laughs> Hypothetical criminal history, of course. So hypothetically, if Alberto had a possession with intent to distribute marijuana, it was continued to be dismissed. What are these new laws that have just been passed by the legislature? What are they going to do? Can he seal that charge? Can he expunge it? It's really confusing. Senator Serval, can you enlighten us? Your question all by itself confuses me. So. <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't alone there. I was like, what? Yeah, I'm not let sure. Me, let, me, let me try and go at it a different way. And let me try and back us into this so you all understand the framework. And then we can throw some specifics at it. So, you know, basically the dispute between the House and the Senate was the House wanted to have a system that was 100% automatic. And the Senate wanted to build upon a petition-based system. And Virginia has never allowed any kind of sealing or expungement or anything for convictions. And so that was like a whole new thing for us. And as soon as you get into convictions, there's all kinds of other things you have to think about, like subsequent offenses or uh, barrier crimes, or there's all kinds of federal DMV and CDL rules that kick in. And so you have to basically have, you can't have the exact same system you have for expungements. And so basically what we did was we came up with this hybrid approach where we created a sealing process and we have automatic sealing for about nine different misdemeanor convictions. So the, the misdemeanor convictions that are automatic are underage possession of alcohol, using fake ID to get alcohol, petty larceny, and then the shoplifting statute, which is the the concealment statute. Then there's about three or four species of trespassing. Then there were, originally it was possession of marijuana and possession with intent to distribute, but then the marijuana bill came along later. I'll talk about that in a minute. 
but originally it was marijuana possession and PWID, misdemeanor PWID, and then disorderly conduct. And so for any of those offenses, after a seven-year period of good behavior, they were wiped off automatic. So no, nothing else shows up on VSIN. They become sealed, not expunged, sealed. And and I'm, I'm guessing, not guessing, I pretty much know this, but What's so important about this is so many people have such difficulties getting jobs for something they did many years ago, seven years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, especially in Virginia. I happen to live in Maryland, but uh, in Maryland, they have a process or a procedure to get some of these convictions taken off. I'm excited about it because I've always thought that paying your debt to society, once you're convicted of something, you pay your fines or you do your time. You shouldn't be saddled with that for the rest of your life. You should have the opportunity to clean it up uh, if you if you prove that you've done that you're worthy of having a clean record. So I'm really, really excited about these possibilities coming up in the future. We were one of only eight states in America that did not allow you to seal a misdemeanor conviction. We were one of only 14 states in America that did not allow you to seal a felony. And now we're up to speed with the rest of the planet, at least in America. That's awesome. Yeah. Virginia was in law school. I said this before. And Virginia was always the, the that one dissenting state. You know, it's like right. a professor would say, yeah, this is this is the common law. This is just common everywhere. But then there's Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> so so it, it's kind of cool. So listen, then on the automatic piece, what we didn't get to yet is that anytime a misdemeanor is nalprost or dismissed, then it's automatically expunged. But if it's a felony it's dismissed, it's automatically expunged unless the Commonwealth attorney stands up and makes an objection. And there's like, I think five or seven different classifications of objections they can make, at which point it's not automatically sealed, but you can petition to have it removed later. And that's the automatic stuff. And some of those objections, I think, include if it's a null process in connection to a plea on a different charge. So right. maybe some cases it was a plea deal right. uh, that dealt with that. Right. Um, which makes sense. I mean, I guess right. in the future, if that person who did end up pleading gets in trouble, the right. the next prosecutor would want to see what they had. Right. But uh, there's also a whole retroactive piece to this, which says that anything that's currently on your record that's eligible for automatic expungement. So if there are convictions or dismissals or null process on your record today that are eligible for expungement when the law kicks in on July 1 of 2025, I think it's a three-year look back. I want to say a three-year good behavior look back. If you're good for those three years, then it's automatically wiped out then. So there's a a retroactive piece and a prospective piece on the automatic side. See, Anna, there's hope for the hypothetical misdemeanor Alberto anyway. So there you go. We haven't got to PWID yet. We we, (laughs) we got to the first version of PWID, but not the second. Oh, you made him a dealer. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Anna made me a dealer. I don't know why. (laughs) I did. You're so charming. I'm a dealer of bad jokes. So, I always so, the, so listen, the second piece of the whole bill, which is says that you can file a petition to get your charge sealed if you have any other kind of misdemeanor or a class five or six felony or a grand larceny or any other offense punishable as larceny, excluding DUI and domestic violence. So if you have any, any of those other charges, any other misdemeanor, class five, six felony on down, you can file a petition to get your charge sealed, but you can only do it twice in your lifetime. Oh, wow. And it applies to sets of charges. So if you have two or three or four charges arising out of one incident, they only count as one against the two strikes. You have to show on the, on the petition-based ceiling, you have to have a good behavior 
for a seven-year period on misdemeanors, 10 years on felony, or if you have a class three or four felony conviction arising out of a different event, you have to wait 20, okay? I, I, I think I, I got I'm 20 from on the class lap. three or four felony. Okay. <clears throat> so that's the eligibility for sealing. And the difference between sealing and expungement is that when you get something expunged, it's like wiped out. And it's gone and nobody can see it ever again, except for maybe a detective or a prosecutor that knows something's there and they know exactly where to go look. And they make a phone call to some guy and they say, hey, can I look in that cabinet over there? But on sealing, because it's a conviction, there's a process that certain employers in certain professions or for certain purposes are allowed to look behind the ceiling into a database to see if it's still there. Child care. Things like exactly. That. Child care, or if you're, you're dealing with, uh, and actually the, the, the category of, of employers has to be built by the Department of Criminal Justice Services. They're supposed to promulgate a list based on notice and comment and a lot of other crap, but basically people that, that deal with people in vulnerable situations, people that deal with children, you know, people, for example, maybe people that work in a, in, a, in a hospital, stuff like that. And, or for example, if your job requires a national security background check, firearms purchases, things like that. So that the charge is not visible to the, the world anymore, and it's not visible for all jobs, but it's visible for some. If the employer wants to go ask and there's a process they have to go through to ask. And that's the difference between, between expungement and sealing. And that's because there's a difference between convictions and dismissals, right? And right. There's, there's, there's other bigger issues behind all that surrounding federal law and bat barrier crimes and a lot of other things that we still have to keep sorting through as we get through all this. Well, how about if somebody had something sealed and then they were convicted of another felony and they had a sentencing event coming up? Would the sealed records be used as prior criminal history for sentencing? <laughs> so thank you for raising it, Anthony, because like I kept telling everybody that the House bill didn't deal with any of these kinds of issues and nobody would listen to me. And so in the final bill, it says that I believe it says that, no, once something's sealed, it cannot be put in a future sentencing guideline. It also says that if you file a petition for sealing and a charge is sealed, that it no longer counts as a barrier crime. So that, for example, if you can't be an ABC manager at a restaurant because you have that felony conviction, if you get it sealed, it lifts that barrier from licensure. So there's it deals with that. It also There's also at the very end of the bill, if you look, it also talks about when you can ask about a sealed charge in cross-examination to undermine somebody's credibility. Mm. And I believe there's different rules for civil and criminal. I think we tried to parallel the federal rule on that. And we had to put exceptions in there for Commonwealth attorneys to be able to disclose the existence of sealed charges to accused persons in criminal prosecutions, which is another thing nobody wanted to spend. We could spend two hours in committee talking about it and I finally was able to get everybody to focus on it because people just didn't think about all the different consequences that flow from a conviction that we have to deal with all the time as lawyers. So basically, this is rewriting everything about expungement. Oh, it's, it's, it's brand not new. expungement, it's sealing. It's sealing, that's right. It's, it's, I'm going to keep saying expungement, but <laughs> it is a ceiling. But it's that's... Yeah. Hmm. And by the way, one other thing I left out is it also requires every traffic offense to be sealed by statute after 11 years. So once it disappears from the GDC site, you shouldn't be seeing it on LexisNexis or some employment, you know, employment background report or whatever. We we statutorily sealed everything that once it's gone from the general district court file, if it's traffic, it disappears forever. That was talking about piece. traffic misdemeanors too. Anything under forty six point two. No, no. Traffic traffic infractions. Traffic infractions. infractions. Anything not criminal. Yeah, it's right. Because if you go look at LexisNexis, you'll see stuff going way way back, right? And, and is that what they considered the business screening services? Well, that's a whole other piece that I had a big fight about. So 
Okay. What I said to everybody when we were negotiating this was, we can pass all the laws we want, but if these companies continue to put out background reports on people that have all this crap in it, when they go to apply for a job or a lease or insurance, we're not going to achieve a damn thing. Right. There's so no we, we have to make sure that these private companies that run around and do these screen scrapes and suck all this data out of our off our Supreme Court website, we have to make sure that there is liability for them if they continue to publish information about our clients after they've gone through the effort of getting something sealed or paid for a petition or whatever. And so the bill also creates a private right of action against any company that publishes information relating to a charge that's been sealed after it's been sealed. On that private right of action and other things, what is actually going to happen July 1? I know there's a long tier. There's lots of things that have to be set up so that we can't just go file expungement and sealings. And that's not all happening July 1 of 2021. But is that private right of action going to come in to play right relatively soon? No, no, because basically the trade-off to get the private right of action, we had to give these data screening companies access to the list of expunged charges. And right now today, they don't get access to the list of anything that's been expunged. They have to sort of figure it out when something vanishes. And of course, they don't have a good algorithm that allows them to, to see that, hey, there was something in our database and it disappeared. All they do is like take stuff, take the hits out. They don't compare what they have versus what's still there, right? And so basically what, what we said was, is these companies, they can sign up and they can register with the state police to get access to or to get a download of the expungement data, but they have to pay, a, 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 they have to sign a contract, they have to pay an annual fee, they, they have to agree not to disseminate any of this expungement information to anybody. They're only allowed to use it for their purposes, they can't resell it, et cetera. In exchange for all that, they get access to the data. And because the reason we have the four year delay is because, you know, my original bill said they had to make it effective, you know, in two months. And the state police came back and said, We'd be happy to do that for you, but it's going to cost about $80 million a year with all the staff we have to hire to process all this crap really fast. Wow. And so the appropriators kind of choked on that. Mm. And they came back and said, but if you give us four years and $14 million, we can redo our entire computer system so that our computers will speak to the Supreme Court and the sheriffs and the police and everybody up and down the lines. So we can put all this stuff into one database and do all this stuff electronically in a seamless fashion. And, and then we can upload these lists to these, you know, data broker companies in an efficient way. And so that's what the four-year delay is all about, is redoing all of our computer systems so they can all speak to each other and do this efficiently. And, and so the trade-off of getting the private right of action was giving the companies access to the list, but they can't get access to the list for four years. So we have to wait for everything for four years. And then the governor also added language and the governor's amendment said that if the state police certifies that we've got all these computer systems in place sooner, we can make all this effective before four years. So, you know, I'm hoping the state police figures out how to do this in maybe two or three years, but it right now it's just, it's impossible to say because they're just starting to bring all the, you know, software geeks and engineers come in and try and figure out how to pull it off. But it could be faster in four years, but we'll see. And, uh, Is there any just- chance that DUI, let's say you get one DUI and it, as soon as you're done with 10 years and you're at 11 years with the first DUI, you have no others. Is there a chance that those would be allowed to be you know, expunged or sealed? I wish. I think that the, the problem we run into there is that under the federal regulations for the Department of Transportation, they have special regs having to do with people who obtain CDLs mm. and DUI. And they have actually have they actually even have a super special rule that specifically says that anybody that seals or expunges a DUI conviction doesn't count for purposes of a CDL. And if you try to make it disappear and you lose all this federal highway safety money or something. And so 
you have to figure out a way to differentiate CDLs from main licenses or, and, and just so you understand that the restriction doesn't apply if you have a CDL at the time you commit the DUI, you could get a DUI and then apply for a CDL five years later and there could still be a ban in place. And so you have to have it so that somebody applying for that CDL can look back and see the DUI. And, and those are the kinds of details we just didn't have time to tease out. I think that perhaps the long-term solution to that is a solution I'm talking to Justice Ford about, which would allow you to come back after a certain period of time and say, hey, I turned my life around, whatever, undo this conviction so that you can undo a conviction. And if you want to undo the conviction, then you can get that sealed or expunged. And that might be a way to approach that among amongst other things. They're more focused on felonies or people that get like 20, 30, 40 years, you know, coming back and saying, I've redeemed myself in prison, you know, look at what I've done, an alternative to parole. But but I think there might be some possibilities there for things like DUIs. So or just, about domestic yeah. violence, like a first time if they've only well, ever that's, had that's one. another one, right? Because of because of the 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 Lautenberg Amendment. Right. You know, as soon as you get a domestic violence conviction, you're banned from owning a firearm the rest of your life or buying a firearm. And so, again, trying to square that with federal law is like super complicated. And so I hope you know we can figure out a way to do that. But I think each of each of these like more nuanced, more some of these crimes that have this special stigmas and consequences attached, you know, you could almost have like a, a whole you know crime commission interlude focused on just that, trying to figure out how to how to solve that that problem. Right. So that's why we had to carve those out because it, those are the kinds of things that could have taken the whole bill down, which is why we carved them out. And, and I find it strange. I've always found it strange that domestic assault and battery is one of the few offenses that we could actually get dismissed by a deferred finding. Meanwhile, a regular assault and battery, you can't do that. So it's kind of- so You can do it in satisfaction on can. it. What's, you can what's, do it SIS on an assault 19.2, 298.02. Thank you. Now you can exactly. with 19.2. <laughs> and I was going to bring that up. Now the code actually allows us to do that even even on DWIs, I, I, I would imagine. Uh, I think we actually entered in one the other, yep, the other day. Can. So so that's one way of getting a conviction undone. But that being said, no, before assault and batteries, you couldn't do anything about it. You had to go to trial or get an assault, you know, a court of satisfaction to get it dismissed, which is completely different. But uh, I've always found that strange about domestic A and Bs. And I, I'm not sure why that was that one could oh. assault be convicted of or have enough evidence to be convicted of assaulting their spouse and then working. I think families deal with very intimate issues like financial stuff, like medical stuff, like kids, like, you know how to push each other's buttons. So they kind of give you that. Okay. You messed up this one time. We'll put you in treatment and things, and then we'll give you a chance to keep it off your record. I think that's how they distinguish it. Like, at least that's always been my understanding. Well, I don't know. If, it's not off your record. I mean, it's always yeah. there if you do the 57.3. I mean, but I mean, it is that I think we've always looked at domestic assault and it's, it's different than just getting in a bar fight or something. But it is, I often think that obviously the danger in a family, if it's not fixed, is ongoing, um, mm-hmm. where a danger in like some random guy you might have gotten drunk and beaten up in a bar or something that's a, those are going to be you're not going to run into that guy again it, maybe so also also for div- uh, future divorce cases maybe they realize it, we can't really have these things sealed it might be a good reason to keep it open for a future uh yeah. future uh you know well, i have action. a question about the penalties if people violate like if you disseminate sealed information you guys have made it's a class one misdemeanor if you willfully violate and then a class six if it's maliciously and intentionally did you guys talk about like what that's going to look like yeah so the uh virginia association commonwealth attorneys had some problems with that (laughs) (laughs) 
can't imagine why. <laughs> well, so I, I think there's, first of all, I think there's been a, a misunderstanding of how that statute works. So the current statute says that it's a class one misdemeanor to disseminate any information linked to a, a expunged record, right? And my interpretation of that has always been that if you're the type of person who has access to an expunged record, that is, you're a detective, you're a Commonwealth attorney, maybe you're like victim services in a police department, and you know the cabinet that the, that the expunged records are stored in, and you go and look at it, and you see it, and then you reveal that record, that that's when the criminal liability attaches. But it's not because you were sitting in your front yard and some guy ran to your car drunk and he got off and his charge got expunged. And then you went and talked to your friends and your neighbors about it and complained the system's all screwed up. <laughs> That's not what it applies to, right? And so that was kind of what we were aiming at is that if we're going to create a system where we're going to say that certain – and by the way, just understand that like all this – all of this stuff gets into First Amendment issues, right? When the Fair Credit Reporting Act came out, there was a lot of companies that said we were trying to violate their free speech rights by, you know, that companies ought to have this uninhibited constitutional right to say all this bad stuff about you anywhere and anywhere they like, even if it's accurate or not accurate, right? And so the courts all came back and said, no, legislatures have the ability to say that some information about people is so toxic, is so radioactive, is so awful that they can put it in a special category that can restrict speech about that information in a way that there's additional consequences for revealing it, right? And so that's exactly the vein in which we took this, which is that we've decided that there's some information about people that has certain negative consequences that are life-changing, life-altering, that we as a society have decided, you know, are, 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 are so bad that we ought to have a different set of rules about it. And so it's the people who have access to, to that information, because say they're a privileged employer, right? Say it's, you know, you're applying for a job to work at childcare and the employer, by virtue of their status as a child as a childcare employer, is allowed to look behind the ceiling and see that you had, you know, whatever it was, a, a you know, an assault and battery in a bar that you got convicted of back 10 years ago, but you went through the effort of getting it sealed. If that employer then takes that information and puts it on Facebook because they think, you know, after you get fired that you're, you know, you're a jerk, you're a bad boyfriend or whatever it is, bad girlfriend, whatever, that there ought to be consequences for that. And that's what it's aimed at. Not at people that just know you got into trouble at some point in your life and talk about it in the future. Like when you run for the state Senate and they say, Hey, you know, <laughs> Or when you become a hypothetical drug college, you got a podcast. A, you got a speeding ticket or something. It got sealed, right? So that's what it's aimed at. Cool. I mean, and remember, look, the uh, background checks. I mean, that that whole it's a huge business. These oh, you have no idea how much oh, money you're making. I, I kind of know. So uh, about ten years ago, we we you mentioned LexisNexis. Well, when we subscribed to them, my brother thought it'd be fun to look up everybody's background, and I'm like, Carlos, <laughs> like the next day, I get this bill. For fifteen well, oh, oh, so thousand dollars. Yeah. So <laughs> let me. Yeah. Yeah. So let me. Let me just tell you. Like, so one of the things about our law that nobody's talked about, nobody's talked about, is that under the Fair Credit Reporting Act today, if somebody puts out a bad criminal background report on you, you can sue that company, but only if the report was pulled for employment, for landlord tenant, or if it was pulled for like insurance. If it was pulled for your eligibility for a government benefit, that's the only time you can sue under the Fair Credit Reporting Act. But if your brother wants to poke around in Lexus Nexus and you know and look up Ann Thayer and see if she has any interesting in her past, or go when it wants to see you know whether you know Anna Dvorak uh, has had fun in her life, 
<laughs> right there. And if LexisNexis puts out a report about that, you know, there's no liability, even if there's false information in it. And if you guys ever gone to this, this company, if you ever gone to my life, I get an email every day. I've been saving every one of them from this website called my life. And they send me these too. things and they say that like, there's bad information about there. You're like negative score or negative information score is like 40%. Or they send me this thing. It says, here's your mom. Here's your dad. Here's your brother. And it gives you the scores for each of them. Or it'll send me my neighbors and it'll say, look at all this bad stuff about your neighbors. Click here and pay us $2 and you can look at all this stuff. None of that is regulated under the bill we passed. Anybody that puts out anything about a sealed charge and they charge money for somebody to see it, you can sue them. Nice. And that's, I think, the first state wow. in the country that's done that. So um, but look at Virginia taking the lead on yeah, something. The data brokers hate us. They hate us. <laughs> well, look, they got 15 grand out of us for some stupidity. So it's like, <laughs> I mean, that, was, that hurt, which explains why I then Alberto, had to become a hypothetical drug Perhaps we should advise dealer. you of your rights right now. <laughs> 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 You're really a- selling your law firm. I am, I am, I am. <laughs> so, and so when you guys passed the marijuana bill, the dissemination, is that the same as some of these sealed uh, and, and oh God. stuff? Right? <laughs> headache now. <laughs> okay, so here's what happened with the marijuana bill. So the marijuana bill came through the Senate and <clears throat> it came through my, I was on the, the general laws subcommittee, the general laws full committee. I was on the courts marijuana sub, the courts full, the full courts committee, whatever. I spent so much time on this bill. When it came through courts, I specifically rewrote all the expungement stuff in it because I said, if we're going to take a bill, if we're going to take a, a statute off the books, then anything about that ought to get expunged for everybody going backwards because it's no longer illegal, right? And so the, the way it came out of the Senate was that if you have a conviction or a charge for marijuana possession, it's wiped out. If you have a conviction for misdemeanor peewid, wiped out or charged misdemeanor peewit wiped out if you have a charge for paraphernalia you can petition to get an expungement a paraphernalia conviction you can petition to get it expunged not sealed expunged if you can show it's marijuana related if you have a conviction for felony marijuana distribution as long as you're not a kingpin or dealing to a child then you can petition to a judge to get that expunged okay i think i covered all of it right anyways that was in the bill it went it went into the conference committee I didn't get invited to any of the conference committees. The bill pops out on the floor and they took all my expungement stuff out. They said, oh, you and Charnel covered that. I was like, no, we didn't cover any of that. It was all different. That's ceiling. And that's not the same as expungement. You guys don't understand. Anyway, the bill we passed didn't have anything in it that I put in it. Then we negotiated with the governor and the governor said, oh yeah, we should put all that back in. So governor put it all back in and he called it expungement. But then the structure they put in was all ceiling because they said, well, we thought you guys agreed on ceiling. And I was like, no, we talked about expungement and the house even agreed to me about expungement. So anyways, the language that's in the final bill is basically says what I just said a minute ago, but it's all ceiling and not expungement, but they call it expungement in the statute. So it could not be any more confusing. So when I come back next session, that's not potato potato. They're completely different. I'm going to come back and try and clean all that up and fix it next session because it's all screwed up. And the one other thing that we didn't fix that we wanted to fix and we just forgot about until the last second, I was talking to Delegate Don Scott at the trial lawyers conference about a week and a half before a veto session. And it occurred to us that we forgot to authorize resentencing for anybody who's currently in prison for marijuana distribution. And there's about 400 people who are currently in prison for marijuana distribution. And there's language in the bill, but it's subject to reenactment, meaning that it has to be voted on again before it becomes law. And we tried to get that back to make it applicable on July 1. But the problem was, is that the administration, we brought it up so late in the conversation, they were concerned about the cost. 
because you have to have 400 resentencing hearings, get probation, parole involved, do resentencing reports, and people bring people back in jail and do it all over again. That's expensive. And the way we did that with the Fishback cases is we just sent it all the, to the uh, parole board and we let people petition to the parole board instead of petition for resentencing in front of a judge. So anyways, that issue is still out there too, about how we're going to deal with those guys that are still in prison for marijuana distribution. And I'm sorry, that's a long-winded answer to your question, but it's no, hard to I answer. I like it. Part. No, I knew that. I, I... Hey, that's what we want people to know. It confuses us. It gave me a headache when I read the whole thing. <laughs> so right now, you like, there, you know, we're really talking about this is an evolving issue. And right now, come July 1, we're not really talking about any real changes to the current expungement or sealing laws. We're really, that's, we're talking four years from now, maybe sooner, but really that's the time horizon. Yeah. The reason, the reason that it's hard to do changes quickly is that, is the cost. I mean, I told you earlier that what the Supreme Court tells me is that every time somebody does an expungement, it takes one of their employees 10 minutes to go in their thing and pull the piece of paper out or play in the computer and make it go away or whatever. Right. And that's just the, every time you do an expungement, right. It's the, the Supreme Court has a cost. Sometimes the circuit court clerk has a cost. The sheriff has a cost, the local police has a cost, the state police have a cost, and the state police has to lord over the whole thing and confirm it's all been done. So there's not some thing hanging out there. And then they say the letter saying it's all done. All that takes time. And it's it's all manpower. It's all manual right now, right? So the one thing that is changing, by the way, is that because of a bill I passed last year, you can petition to have dismissed evictions expunged <laughs> in about... It's either January 1 or July 1. I can't remember. But anyways, that's a whole new type of expungement that's going to be available because, you know, these these a lot of these landlords have these, they do these algorithms and they see if you have any, if you've been sued for eviction, they give you this crappy tenant score and the landlords all just write you off. And so well, the thing yeah, I did I says mean, if you have an ex- eviction that was dismissed, you can petition to have that expunged. Anyway, so that, that, it, that, that's going to be the lawsuit. Uh-huh. So if you have, um, so these, like the seven year time frame if you file a petition for the misdemeanor, is that seven years starting in July or does that start in 2025 that you have to wait the seven or 10 years or whatever, or the seven years? years from the day you file the petition. Okay. So you, but if you're not going into effect till the 2025, they would have to wait till then. It's a seven year look back from when you file it. Okay. Okay. So it's all right, seven so seven-year look, look back. back. You don't have to okay. wait seven back. years okay. from the time of the petition is from the conviction date, right? Right. For a, se- so, for a second, I thought you were saying you filed it in 2025 and in 32, you, you'll get a no, no, no. <laughs> I just meant like if you have someone that's eligible now, but it's not going into effect till, two, till 2025 or whenever, if they can do it sooner, they can file it whenever it's going to be ready. It they, seems like anything before 2018. Yeah. Yeah. Anything we also passed uh, another piece of the bill, which has nobody's talked about, is that we also prohibited localities from reporting anything to VSIN that the Virginia Code does not mandate be reported to VSIN because there were some sheriffs that were putting all kinds of crap into VSIN that didn't belong there. And actually, that's one of the few things that we did. Actually, that is effective July 1 is we did automatically expunge everything out of VSIN that's not statutorily required to be in there. <laughs> effective July 1. The state police actually asked for that. Nice. So like, I can't remember if that includes like drunken publics or something, but if the, you have to go look at the statute, but like there's, there's some offenses. There's, there's a, there's a statute somewhere in 19.2 that says the exact offenses that are supposed to get reported into VSINT. And yeah. so I saw something that says for new warrants and new summons, they have to put the state equivalent to any local code, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's partly why. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly why. Okay. And just for our list, you know, all the three listeners that listen to us, VSINT stand, we use, hey, we use we all these acronyms. Five maybe, but criminal <laughs> information network. Yes. It's not a TV channel. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, well it sounds anyway. exciting. I'm really excited that it's we're doing this, and I know that it's taking a long time, but it, it's important for our listeners to know that there's not just the automatic, but there's a certain number. I mean, let's think about the automatic expungements. Are those always going to happen, or do you have a limit on the number of automatic ones? Let's say you get five misdemeanors. Do you only uh, get two? I don't think there's a limit. Okay. My, it's just, I, I had proposed a limit in, I think, my bill. My original bill had a limit, but in the ooh. bill we passed, there's no limit. Just for the petitions, right? If you have to be eligible for the Correct. convictions, right? Yeah. For like so, felony petitions, you only get a couple. So why do you think a limit or, mis- or misdemeanor? Why do you or, think a limit would be good? I, again, I was trying to, uh, for, why did I propose a limit yeah, or why, why did, did we do a limit? Why did you propose one? I proposed a limit because I was just trying to get, ah. we, we talked about this before we started, but I, I wanted to just get a system on the books where that I knew I could get through the legislature that I could build on later. I didn't want to try and overreach and then have the whole thing go down because we'd asked for too much once people started pointing out scary examples of things. And so that, you know, I always figured if you, you start here, it's a lot easier to open it up, get, you get crack get the door wider the and wider once you got it open. Right. And so that was that the whole idea. Cool. Right. Awesome. Well, look, I know there's a whole bunch more information that has to come out there on expungements. We'll probably go for another hour or two, but ceilings and ceilings, ceilings, Albert. <laughs> my lips, my lips are sealed from now on. How about that? <laughs> I think we're going to end it there. <laughs> I'm going to say, okay, I, I, I broke my rule. Lips are sealed. There you go. You got it right. <laughs> no, I appreciate y'all. Uh, it's it's a very complicated area. And I remember at one point during the debate about it, one of my colleagues said, Cervell, this is crazy. Nobody's gonna be able to understand this. You know, we don't have to make this. This needs to be simple. Just, yes, if you're good for five years, it all gets dismissed. We can't make something too complicated. And I said to him, you know, there was this humorist, I uh, forget his name, uh, H.L. Mencken, I think. And he said, for every complicated problem, there is a solution that's clear, simple, and wrong. <laughs> that's nice that's so anyway well we oh, appreciate yeah. having you we really um, we're hoping to get some information out because i know we're all getting calls about these new ceiling walls <laughs> that are yeah. coming you need to start um, do what i do you need to start a google doc <laughs> take down their name and their email and their phone number and start keeping records and be ready to file when the time comes that's what you need to do take down their information and and tell them stay in touch with me and uh, I'll take care of you when, when this law goes live. That's kind of what I've been doing because I hadn't had time to fully read the statute till recently. <laughs> what's, a, what's a Google Doc? I, I'm just I'll keep my lips That's sealed. A I, should, I shouldn't have said a damn thing. <laughs> well, thank you very- on that note, we're going to seal Alberto in and this episode. And we- <laughs> right. Thank you, Scott, for coming out. That's Senator Serval. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Very happy to be out. happy to try and enlighten everybody. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on Crime Time. I hope you liked what you heard. And we hope you join us for the next episode.